You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. So praise the Lord. Well, let's get into the Word. You ready? Tell you what, let me open with prayer and open the message. Father, thank you so much for the written Word of God. We thank you that it's alive, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And Father, I thank you that as we feed upon the Word, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so, Father, we thank you that we can feed upon your Word and our lives can be changed We thank you that your word has the ability supernaturally to work on the inside of us. And Father, we purpose in our hearts to be hearers and doers of the word. We have open hearts to receive what you say to us. But Father, we're going to incorporate it into our lives. And because of that, Father, we believe that your will, plan, and purpose will come to pass in us. And we thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look at our foundation scripture found in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. And and by the way, this is week number 11 in our series called Jesus the Healer. Say that with me. Say Jesus the Healer. Do you believe he's a healer? He's a healer today, just like he was in the Bible and in the New Testament. He's the same Jesus. Hebrews 13, 8 says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so let's look at Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. This is Peter uh, giving a summary of the ministry of Jesus while he was here on the earth. And he said this, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. You know, there's a key word in there. It's a little three-letter word, all. Healing all. You know, there was not one person that came to receive from Jesus that did not receive. He healed everybody that he came in contact with that was in a position to receive from him. Now, there were many people that came in contact with Jesus. Many, you remember, as he was, you know, passing through the streets, the the people, there was large numbers of people And he would physically come into contact with people. But I'm reminded of the woman with the issue of blood. You know, all those people were coming, bumping up into Jesus, but only one person got healed out of all of them. And it's because she came with an attitude that she wanted to receive from him. And so that's a huge key in receiving anything from the Lord, actually, not just healing. Now, we've talked about several, many aspects, and I'm not going to attempt to review everything that we've covered in the previous 10 weeks talking about healing, but I will say this. It is God's will for you to be healed. He's paid a great price through the Lord Jesus for you to be able to receive healing in your body. Sickness and disease does not come from heaven. It doesn't come from God. It's a result of the curse that came into the earth because of man's sin. And thank God Jesus came to deliver us from that curse and to break that curse off of our lives. And so we know that it is a privilege that we have to be able to walk in health and healing that God provides for us. Now, somebody might say, well, uh, does that mean we'll never have opportunities to get sick? Well, let me ask you this question. 
Did Jesus set you free from sin? Well, the answer to that is yes. Well, let me ask you another question. Do you have opportunities to sin? And the answer to that question is yes. And so the, the, the fact of the matter is that we live in a curse-filled, broken world and that we're faced with things and life happens. But the, thing, the good news is that we have a, a, a better report, if you will, a higher report that comes from the Word of God, which is able to change our circumstances and to provide things for us so that uh, when life does happen, when circumstances, symptoms show up in our body, we can stand on the Word of God and receive our deliverance and to live free from those things. And so, again, there's so much that we covered. Um, you know, I'm not going to pretend to get into it all, but I want to talk about something that is related to healing, but it has more to do with receiving healing. And uh, I want to talk to us today about the ministry of laying on of hands, how that works, what, what is that all about. And so there are predominantly seven things that I want you to leave here today knowing about the ministry of laying on of hands. Anybody ever heard of having hands laid on you or somebody ministering that way? Well, we're going to find out what does the Bible have to say about that. It is a very, very important part of Scripture. So let's just jump right into this. Here's the first thing I want you to write down, and that is this. Number one is laying hands on people is a doctrine of the church. Now, I might want to qualify and say uh, I'm not talking about laying hands quickly and suddenly on people to hurt people. I'm talking about laying hands to pray for people, okay? So I didn't want anybody to... Uh, you know, leave out of here and say, well, pastor, I said I could hit somebody if they get mad. No, I didn't say that. But let's look at this. Laying hands on people is a doctrine of the church. Now, what it means when we say it's a doctrine of the church, it means this, that it's a foundational teaching that is part of what makes us who we are as the universal church, as a, an ordained body of believers that's what doctrine is all about. Doctrine is, are things like salvation. You know, we, we believe in the doctrine of salvation. We believe in the doctrine of uh, receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the doctrine, as, as we've been teaching, on healing. We believe in the doctrine of uh, church governments and all those types of things, which are all taught in the Scriptures. But let's look at this uh, particular doctrine, as it's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says this, therefore, leaving the discussion. Now, I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. It's not specifically stated, but you'll find that there's characteristics of, uh, in Hebrews that are similar to Paul's other writings. And uh, this is something that he, it, it kind of echoes what he said in other books. But he said, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ let us go on to perfection. That should be actually maturity. Let's grow up spiritually, in other words. And then, uh, so then he says, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. In other words, we ought to grow in and mature in our walk with the Lord. So I don't have to get up here every Sunday and tell y'all, y'all need to be saved. We ought to be past that. Now, somebody said, well, what if you get visitors, you know, new people that come into the church? 
Well, yeah, we believe in salvation and we're going to invite them to receive Christ as their Savior, but to teach salvation every week, week after week after week, um, basically for a group of believers, you will stunt the growth of the church. Because what you'll have is the same people coming down to the altar to get saved every week. Maybe you grew up in a church like that. Uh, and let me rephrase it. It wasn't maybe getting saved every week. How about rededicate? Okay, now we believe in rededication, but not every week, okay? If, if you need to rededicate your life, we'll pray with you, we'll help you. But listen, if you, let me say it to you this way. As a pastor, you get what you preach to your church. So if you preach backsliding and repentance, that's what you'll get in your church. So every week you'll have people that backslide from Monday through Saturday and then they come sliding into church and want to rededicate on Sunday morning. Well, how many of you know that's not the will of God? That's not the way we're supposed to live as Christian believers. So the way that we're supposed to live is, yes, there is nothing wrong with repentance. There's nothing wrong with uh, rededicating but you need to move on. You need to mature and grow in your walk with the Lord where you don't live in sin Monday through Saturday and then try and get right with God on Sunday. Can I get an amen? Okay. Then I know that's none of you, but that's what he's saying. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. So we ought to be able to move past just the basics of salvation. And then verse 2, he says this, and of the doctrine of baptisms. And, uh, you know, what I, let me, while we're there, let me just mention that. We have not forsaken baptism. How many of you, when we were at the other building, remember we did water baptisms quite frequently? Well, because we're not in our own facility and uh, we're, we're not able to facilitate water baptisms here. Now, what we will have to do is uh, find a facility like the YMCA, as we've done in the past, and do baptisms there. So, but we still believe in baptisms. I didn't want anybody to think that we had left all that behind when we moved. No, it's just the, the physical uh, logistics of the building that we're in. But, again... We believe in water baptism, but we, we ought to be able to go into some deeper things than water baptism with and in our instruction and teaching. So he says of the doctrine of baptisms and then this, the doctrine of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So let me summarize this and say it this way. As a pastor, my responsibility is to make sure that the flock that I'm responsible for and that I am called to minister to is well-versed on salvation, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. I should be teaching our body so that we have a well-rounded if you will, diet from the Word of God, okay? That's what Paul is trying to get us to see. Now, if there's one subject that's mentioned here that I probably don't cover as much as I probably need to, and that is talking about 
the, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. In other words, the end times. And uh, I mention it, I talk about it occasionally, uh, but one of the reasons that I don't dive into it as much as maybe as I could is because people have a tendency to go off in the deep end on those type of subjects. You know, and then you get into the fights, which there are small wars fought over. Are we going pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? You know what that means? Or is the rapture going to take place before the tribulation? Or are we going to tribulate for half of the tribulation? Or are we going to go after it's all said and done? And see, there's small, there's factions in the church that fight over that kind of stuff. And so what I want to do is to teach you basic, fundamental doctrines of the church so that you are a well-rounded believer and uh, you're established in a lot of these things, okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? All right. So the first thing that I want you to see is the doctrine of laying on of hands is a doctrine of the church and it ought to be something that we know something about. We ought to be familiar with with it the longer we're in the church and the longer we're saved, okay? All right, so let's look at number two. Laying hands on people is in the Old Testament. Laying hands on people is in the Old Testament. We probably refer to it and see it uh, in the New Testament just simply because that's the dispensation that we're in. That's the covenant that we're in. But it is in the Old Testament. Let me show you a few examples here, and let's look at, well, you don't have to turn there, but just if, get this and, and look these up later on. But all throughout the book of Leviticus, and especially in Leviticus 16, 21 and 22, when the, the Old Testament saints, when the Hebrew people would offer sacrifices to the Lord, they would lay hands on the sacrifice, and therefore uh, the su sacrifice was a substitute to pay the price for their sin. And the way the Lord taught the people was, when you sacrifice that animal, lay your hands on it, and in so doing that, you're transferring your sin symbolically to that animal, and when that animal's blood is shed, it's paying the price for your sin. And so you laid hands on the animal. Literally, you would bring that lamb or whatever it was, put it on the altar, and uh, we talked about this Wednesday night, but as the... The, the lamb's blood was leaving its body and the priest was capturing the blood, you would have your hands laid on that animal and you could literally feel the animal dying in your hands. And what that did is it left a mark on your thinking to know this animal paid the price for me and for my sin. Now, the, the challenge with this under the old covenant was it had to happen all the time. At least every year, you had to go to Jerusalem and offer a sacrifice to pay the price for the sins that you had committed, and it wasn't a one and once and for all situation like it is under the Lord Jesus Christ and the price that he paid. But I want you to see that this was something that was taught to the Hebrew people in the Old Testament. In Genesis 48 and verses 13 through 20, we see there that just prior to Jacob's death, he called his sons. You remember uh, his sons, uh, well, Jacob and Esau were, were the same thing happened to them from Isaac 
where Isaac gathered the boys together and laid hands on them and pronounced a blessing on them. Well, Jacob did the same thing with all 12 of his sons. And he laid hands on them, pronounced a blessing over them before he died. And that's something that was very common at this point. The next or another example is in Exodus 34 and verse 9. We see where Moses realizes the Lord shows him that he is getting ready to die. And so he needs to turn the leadership of the children of Israel over to Joshua. So in transferring that leadership, he laid hands on Joshua and anointed him to take over the leadership of the people. So that's why a lot of times... You know, as people, uh, even in the modern day, in church, uh, you see where they're being ordained for a position of leadership that whoever is doing the ordination will lay hands on them. That's based on this same premise right here. So we see that laying on of hands is in the Old Testament. It's not just a church thing. It's all throughout the entire scriptures. All right, so here's number three. Laying hands on people is a primary way Jesus ministered healing to people. Laying hands on people is a primary way that Jesus ministered healing to people. Now, it was not the only way. He used other methods. Uh, there's, let me give you a couple of examples, not on your notes, but a couple of examples. We know that uh, there were people that would come to Jesus. You remember the centurion came to him and said, you don't need to come to my house, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And so Jesus said, go your way, your servant is healed. So he ministered healing by declaring and speaking the word over that centurion's servant. We know that there was another situation where there was a blind man that came to Jesus. And you remember Jesus spit in the, the dirt and made mud and put it in the man's eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man came back and was able to see. Now, you know, here's the thing. <laughs> I don't encourage you to go and start a spitting ministry to get people healed. This is not something that was regularly practiced by the Lord. Matter of fact, we see him laying hands on people more than any other method, and so that's why it transfers into the New Testament. But don't go spitting on people, all right, and say, be healed. No, and, you know, there were other methods. There were, uh, you know, as we mentioned, the woman, the issue of blood, touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. So there were other things that Jesus did but they were not the majority. They were the minority of occasions and only as the Holy Spirit directed the Lord to minister that way. But what we do find most of the time is Jesus laying hands on people. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Luke chapter 4 and verse 40. It says this, When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, he laid his hands on every one of them, and he healed them. All right? So I want to give you a phrase that I believe will help you understand an important part of this, this type of ministry and this way that the Lord ministers. And this isn't in your notes, but if you want to just write a general what, this, what I'm getting ready to tell you, Laying on of hands becomes uh, the recognized 
point of contact. It became the recognized point of contact. If you want to write that phrase down, point of contact for the healing process. Now, let me say this to you. Um, Laying on of hands per se is not magical, all right? Touching somebody is is not necessarily uh, what causes them to be healed. There is something that is called the point of contact. And what that means is it's a point where that person comes in contact with the healing power of God, okay? So you, you might have, and, and you know, I know people have made fun of this, but I remember, you know, when Oral Roberts used to be on TV in the late 50s and 60s, you know, as he would be ministering to people, he would tell people, reach your hand out towards the television and, uh, you know, receive your healing. Well, that's, there, there's nothing magical about your TV, all right? But he was trying to get people to have a point of contact where they could release their faith and receive healing from the Lord. You might remember in the book of Acts, uh, I didn't include this scripture, but in the book of Acts, it talks about how Paul, he would minister to people and after he would get through ministering, they would take handkerchiefs that were on his body or he would pray over the handkerchiefs and the people would take the handkerchiefs and lay them on sick people and the sick people would be healed. Well, how many of you know there's nothing magical about a handkerchief? But because it came in contact with the healing power of God, that it became a point of contact for those people who could not make it in person to have Peter and Paul lay hands on them that they could release their faith that when they came in contact with that item, they would be healed. Do you see that? So it's all about point of contact. It's all about when that person touches you. Now, you need to understand this. Uh, It's the power of God that brings about healing, not men. I can't heal anybody or anything. Like Brother Hagin used to say, I'm not, I don't have enough power in myself to heal a broken wing on a gnat's back. It's the truth. I don't, and neither do you. It is the power of God. But what we're doing, and we'll see this in a little bit, we're making ourselves available for God to work through us in that way. But the, the big thing that as a minister, just to expound on this a little bit, My responsibility as a minister, if I'm going to lay hands on you and believe God for the healing power of God to flow into your body, I have to get your eyes on Jesus, not on me. Do you understand that? I need to get you thinking about Jesus as the healer, not Pastor Brad as the healer. I'm not the healer. I'm just a vessel that God works through and, but I need your faith to be in Jesus and what Jesus wants to do in your life. Okay? Now, so healing was a predominant way that Jesus ministered to people. Let's go and, and let's look at a couple of other examples. Mark chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. So let me remind you again, say this after me, point of contact. Point of contact. 
Okay, so as we look at these examples, that's what this is all about. All right, so Mark chapter 5, 22 and 23, and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter dies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Now, how would Jairus know to come and ask Jesus to lay his hands on his daughter if that had not been a predominant way that he had seen Jesus minister and seen people get healed? You know, why didn't he come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I just need you to do like you did for that centurion fella and just say something. He might not have been there when that happened for that centurion, but he did see people receive healing as hands were laid on them from the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed. Now, look at another instance in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. And this is one of my most favorite stories of healing in the New Testament in Jesus' ministry. It says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. We talked about this early on in this series. Pay attention to what Jesus says to him. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and did what? He did what? This man's got leprosy, though. You can't touch people who have leprosy. If you're afraid of getting leprosy by touching people, Jesus wasn't concerned with that in the least. So he had no problem reaching out and laying his hand on that man. But notice what he said. He stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Now, as soon as Jesus had spoken those words, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So what happened? Jesus put out his hand and touched him and it was all one motion. It was not three different parts. It was Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and as he's touching him, he said, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the healing power of God flowed out of Jesus into the man's body, stopped the leprosy, and the man was healed and cleansed of leprosy at that moment. So we see that Jesus very often, there were other instances that we don't have time to get into, that Jesus laid hands on people in order to minister healing to them. So it's, it's a doctrine of the church. It's found in the Old Testament. We see it in Jesus' ministry. Let's look at one other principle. And number uh, four is this. Laying hands on people was a symbol of covenant authority. Covenant authority. Laying hands on people was a symbol. Oh, sorry, I didn't flick the slide. Of covenant authority. Okay? So, uh, I don't have time to teach on covenant this morning. We've been talking about that on Wednesday night, so you can go and listen to it. Uh, from the previous weeks. But I want to point your attention to Luke chapter 13. And we're going to look at a story where Jesus ministered healing to someone. And again, this is one of, I, I love all these testimonies in, in the ministry of Jesus. And this is another one. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. It says, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now, where was he teaching? 
okay? He was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. So let me help us connect that. He was in church on Sunday. Of course, the Sabbath was Saturday for them, but he was teaching at church. Are you with me? Where was he teaching? Okay. And behold, you remember what behold means, right? Look, yeah, Kathy, you say it so Minnesota-like. She says, looky here. It's looky here, all right? You got to say it country like, no, I'm just teasing. But and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. How long had she had this? That's a long time to experience something. And was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. Now, as I teach you all the time, pay attention to the details. So this woman, at some point in her life, we don't know exactly how old she is, but at some point in her life, something happened in her back and everywhere she went, she was bent over just like this. We don't know if it, you know, something, there was a disease or something like that. But here's what I really want you to notice is if, if somebody came into our service this morning and they, because of some infirmity, were bent over like this and could not straighten up, would that not get your attention? Wouldn't that stick out just a little bit? Okay, particularly in a smaller group like we have here. But what I want you to see is, is that he was ministering in church. She comes to church and she had been this way for 18 years. All right, now let's go on. She was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So again, think all one fluid motion. He's standing there teaching. Here she comes. He sees her. He calls her up and he says, woman, come here. She, she comes up to Jesus and at the same time he's laying hands on her, he declares, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And it says, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now, a little side journey here. Let's look at what happens in verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue, the pastor of the church, that's how we could relate this. The, the pastor of the church answered with indignation. He got mad because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Are you kidding me? That would be like me saying, don't come to church to be healed. You got six other days during the week that you can get healed. In other words, don't come here unless you don't have anything wrong with you. How stupid is that? Do you think I could build a successful church doing that? No. All right? This woman was exactly where she needed to be. She needed to be in a place where she could get 
help. And she thought she could get help there. But according to the leader of the synagogue, she could not. And she got mad at Jesus for ministering to her on the Sabbath day. The Lord, verse 15, then answered him and said, Now, I, I, I would want to crawl under this floor if I did something and the Lord Jesus was standing there and he responded to me this way. He turned to the leader and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? In other words, you hypocrite, you don't consider that to be work. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham. What? Stop, stop, stop. What that, those three words tell us, daughter of Abraham, is she was a Jew. She was born of the household of faith. She was a daughter of Abraham and had a covenant right to be healed. She should not have had to endure that condition for 18 years coming to church every week. She should not have. The first time that that thing, that infirmity had gotten on her and she came to church, she should have been set free if that leader had been doing his job. And so he, ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham? Now pay attention, who did this? Whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he had said all these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. So again, what did he do to minister to her? The Bible says that he spoke to her, he laid hands on her, and she was made straight and glorified God. So what was Jesus doing in this situation? Jesus laid his hands on her and in so doing, he was reclaiming property that belonged to God because of the covenant. Her healing belonged to her. Now, can I say this to you? If Jesus was that emphatic about healing belonging to uh, 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 an Old Testament Hebrew under the, the, the covenant of Abraham, how much more do God's people should be able to receive healing in their body and because we are under a better covenant established upon better promises and it was set in motion by the blood of the Lord Jesus himself. Why would it be a better covenant if, if it was not our right to be healed? That covenant would have been better if healing wasn't for us. Are you listening to me? Okay, praise God, I'm getting excited. Here we go, number five. All right, when there is laying on of hands, great power is released. When there's laying on of hands, great power is released. Now let's go and let's look at uh, a story in the book of Acts. Acts chapter eight, verses 14 through 17. And uh, so just to give you a little background, uh, there were some apostles that went to Samaria and ministered to them and, and the people were receptive to the gospel and got saved. And so when the, reading in verse 14, now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, 
they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So these believers had received Christ. They were born again. They had been baptized in water, but they had never received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so it says, Then they, Peter and John, laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So one of the ways that you can minister the baptism in the Holy Spirit to people is to lay hands on them. And when hands are laid on them, power comes into them. The power of the Holy Spirit comes into them, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Another example, well, let me say this. Two times in the Scriptures, in the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit coming on people by himself. In other words, where it's a, it's a movement that he initiates. He, the Holy Spirit. It was on the, the day of Pentecost. We see where the Holy Ghost came upon the believers that were gathered in the upper room. And then when Peter was ministering in Cornelius' household that we read about in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, the Bible says, while Peter was yet speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to prophesy. Okay? So you see two instances. But every other time that people received healing or the baptism of the Holy Spirit through the hands of the apostles, it came through the ministry of laying on of hands. Okay? So here's another instance in Acts chapter 19 and verse 6. It says, And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. So they ministered not only healing, they ministered the baptism and the Holy Spirit through the ministry of laying on of hands. Now, let me say this to you. This is not the only way that you can receive the baptism and the Holy Spirit. I received in my bedroom all by myself. I had been going through a, a little bit of a difficult situation. I was a teenager, and my mother had received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And uh, so I was describing to her what I was feeling and sensing and, and uh, needing direction and so forth. And I remember standing in the kitchen, and she looked at me, and she said, well, you just need to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I said, okay. So I went back to my bedroom, knelt down beside my bed, and I said, Lord, I don't know much about this, but I want to receive it. And boom, the Holy Spirit came on me, and I was filled with the Holy Ghost, and have been filled with the Holy Ghost ever since. So I didn't have to have hands laid on me, but it is a way that you can receive. All right? Am I helping anybody this morning? <clears throat> All right? Now, here's number six. God has authorized us to lay hands on people for healing. So, you know, there's this, a misbelief in the body of Christ, in, in a large part, that um, the only people that can really minister are people that stand in pulpits. Pastors, evangelists, apostles, prophets, teachers, so forth and so on. If you're in a pulpit ministry, the majority of the body of Christ views you as you are anointed to be able to minister to me in whatever capacity I need ministry. And did you know the, the scriptures do not teach that? 
Yes, pulpit ministers. Yes, the fivefold ministry is anointed. Don't misunderstand me. But believers are anointed as well. Shake your head, do something, okay? You are called by God to minister just as much as I am called by God to minister. It might not be in the same way. You might not ever stand up in front of people and teach and preach and pastor like I do, but you are just as called, and when God calls, he anoints the called. Okay? All right, so what does that mean? Well, God has authorized you. He's deputized you. He has given you permission and ordained and called you to be able to lay hands on the sick and see them recovered. We've talked about this verse some in this series. Mark chapter 16 and verses 15 through 18, Jesus speaking to the disciples. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs shall follow the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Huh? What does it say? And these signs shall follow only those who lead a ministry, who have a church, who are apostle doodad, or prophet so-and-so. Is that what it says? The only qualification for these scriptures to work for you is this right here. And these signs will follow those who believe. Now, listen, if you don't believe in this, don't worry. The signs aren't going to follow you. <laughs> That's what Jesus just said. So don't lose any sleep over it. If you don't believe that God wants to use you in this way, guess what? He won't. Don't lay awake at night being afraid that you're going to be at the grocery store and God's going to tell you to minister healing to somebody because if you don't believe it will happen, it's not going to happen. These signs follow those who believe. Now, I will say this. The moment you say this to the Lord, Lord, I believe you want to use me. Lord, use me however you want to. Now, the moment you do that, you've cracked the door open, and the Lord's going to step through that door the best that he possibly can. But if you don't want to be used by the Lord, don't worry about it. God's not going to use you. So let's, let's go on. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. So if you don't believe in that, don't worry. You'll never cast out a demon. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. Now, by the way, this does not mean you go in the hills, in the mountains, and start you a snake-handling church. All right? That is not of the Lord for us to bring out the snakes and start jumping around with snakes and stuff. That's just flat crazy, okay? In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, not on purpose, accidentally, it will by no means hurt them, but here's the main thing. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Somebody says, well, pastor, I tried that one time. I had somebody that came to me and said they were sick and I prayed for them. I laid hands on them and nothing happened. How do you know? 
Because he didn't promise you that they would have an instantaneous miracle. He said they will recover. Sometimes recovery takes a little while to show up on the outside. But if you believe it, recovery started the moment that you laid hands on them. And listen, it's not your responsibility to make sure they get healed. That's God's responsibility. All your responsibility is is to believe and to lay hands on them. That's it. Get the pressure off of you. Like I said, you couldn't heal anybody if you wanted to. So get the pressure off of you and don't be afraid, don't be scared to lay hands on people and minister healing to them. Okay? So we must realize that if people are going to receive from God, listen to me carefully, it is going to happen most likely because we carry it to them. Very few, very few are the testimonies of those that have a Damascus Road experience where people are just minding their own business and all of a sudden God knocks them off their camel in the middle of the desert and goes to talking to them and they have enough sense to get saved like what happened to Saul of Tarsus. Very few testimonies like that. Majority of the time, the absolute, I'd say 99.999% of the time, people are going to receive from God because you take to them what they need. Are you listening to me? Okay. You take to them the anointing. You take to them the power of God that they need. Okay. Let me say this to you. And again, I'm not trying to put responsibility on you, but it's the truth. If God is going to touch people, he must have your hands to do it. God doesn't have any hands in flesh. God's a spirit, Jesus said. He has hands. He has arms. We know he has the hand of the Lord was on people. We know the arm of the Lord is full of great strength. So I'm not saying that he doesn't look like us, but he's not physical like we are. So if somebody is going to have hands laid on them, it's going to be me and you that do it. Let me, let me say, <laughs> I've, I just, I love your enthusiasm. Hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> let me say this to you. If God is going to speak to the people to see them come into the kingdom, he must have your mouth to do it. <laughs> you think about that? If people are going to hear the gospel, they, God needs your mouth in order to talk to them. That's just the way he's chosen to do it. You know, if you don't like it, you can take that up with him, but that's just the way that he wants it done. As we lay hands on people, we are not doing it alone and by ourselves. Our hands, take your, take your hands and hold them out in front of you like this. Your hands become the hands of God. God takes his hands spiritually speaking, and puts them into your hands. This is the way you have to look at it. So when you minister to someone and you lay hands on them, it's not your hands that are coming in contact with them. It's the hand of God, the power of God in you that's coming in contact with them. Uh, we don't have to come under any pressure because we're not the ones with the responsibility to heal. Only God can do that. Let me show you some scriptures. We're going to begin to wind this up. This is my first of seven closings. 
In Acts chapter 28, verses 7 through 9, y'all must be tired of that joke because nobody laughs anymore. Let's look at this, Acts 28. He says this, in that region, now let me just give you a little background. Paul is on his way to Rome. They're shipwrecked on the island of Malta. The ship falls apart and there's a whole bunch of prisoners on this boat and they all escape the wreck and they end up on the island of Malta. And this is where Paul is building a fire. You remember he reaches down and picks up a log and it has a snake on it and the snake bites him. And then all the, the, the people on the island are sitting there watching him because they know he's fixing to die. And nothing happens. He just takes a snake off into the fire and goes on about his business. Why? Because Jesus said, if you take up any deadly serpent, it will not hurt you. Notice Paul didn't handle it on purpose. Okay, just, just thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> so there was a certain, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him. Now this, this verse right here is going to fly straight in the face of a lot of religious people. Paul went into him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. Now who's the subject of that sentence? Paul. Okay, don't be scared. Say it. Paul. Who went in? Who prayed? Who laid his hands on him? Who did the healing? Yeah. Now, God did it. It's God's power, but it could have never happened if Paul hadn't initiated it. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came, and they were healed. All right? Now, here's the last thing, last point I want us to cover today. And that is this, there is some misconception that if someone lays hands on me and if the power of God is present, then I'm going to feel something. Now, here's the mistake that we Pentecostals have made, all right? And maybe mistake is not the right word, but we've kind of fed into this misbelief, this misconception, because we've all been in services where we've seen people come forward to get healed, and hands were laid on them, and what happened? They fell out under the power of God. They got knocked down, which is scriptural. I'm not, not disputing that, nor knocking it. And, or, you know, something, they, 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 you know, staggered around or got drunk in the spirit or, or when hands were laid on them, they immediately started jumping around and shouting and praising God, Okay? Now, I'm not knocking any of those experiences. They can happen. But what the mistake that we've made, though, is building an expectation in people that unless that happens, the power of God did not come in contact with you. And that is not true. Okay? Now, it's wonderful when it does, but you've got to believe that the power of God is present even if you feel absolutely nothing. Because the power of God is not based on your feelings. Now, sometimes it does affect us emotionally or, or you know, physically, those types of things. But we've taught ourselves that the proper response for this is to fall out, 
to run around the building, to shout, to praise the Lord, make a lot of noise, all those types of things. And there are times for that. Don't misunderstand me. However, if the power of God comes on you, do not base your experience on if that happens or not. When hands are laid on you, our responsibility is this. Father, I believe that when hands are laid on me, the healing power of God will come into my body whether I feel like it or not. Okay? That's hugely important. Now, what is laying on of hands, what is it designed to do? And, and let me just give you these last couple of statements. Laying on of hands, we just celebrated not too long ago, the 4th of July. Anybody uh, do any fireworks on the 4th of July? Anybody do any firecrackers, bottle rockets, any of those types of things? What is it that they have on them that you light with a match or a lighter? A fuse. Now, what is that fuse designed to do? It's designed to start something. Two things. Number one, it's designed to let you get out of the way. But then secondly, it's designed to start something. You know, there's always that idiot that holds it in their hand and lights it and then continues to hold it, all right, and blows their hands up. But let me say this to you. Laying on of hands is like lighting the lighting of a fuse on a firecracker. The fuse begins the process of the release of the power that that firework has. The fuse is not the firework. But what it's designed to do is to ignite something to release the power that is within that firework, within that bottle rocket, within that cherry bomb, whatever it might be. So the point of contact that we talked about earlier lights the fuse. And you know... The process has begun. Now, I don't have to stick around and watch and see if it blows up. If I see that fuse lit, I can turn around and walk away and know something is fitting to happen. Okay? The scripture teaches us that it is the act of faith through laying on of hands that releases the power of God and lights the fuse. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.